I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm Effie Parks, your host of this lovely podcast, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to tune in today. If you're new here, there is a vast library on so many topics with so many incredible human beings. So please work your way through them at the pace that works for you. And please send me a message if you have any questions or if you need any help finding something in particular. I have a fabulous couple on the show today. They have a gorgeous daughter named Natalie, also known as Nat G, who lives with a rare form of muscular dystrophy called Pyrox D1. They have created the Take Part Foundation to help fund research for kids like Natalie, and they're doing amazing work over there, so check it out. They share some of their story today, and they've also generously provided a few resources for families to take part in their mission, and also a guide to help nurture your relationships with your spouse. As rare disease families, we know that's a key component for all things that we need to nurture, and perhaps one of the last things on our list that we really get to. So. Make sure to check that out after you listen to this episode, and I am so excited to introduce you to my guests, Matt and Maria Granados. Hi, Maria and Matt. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us on here. We're excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Yes, definitely. Excited to talk to you. Always love like having a couple dynamic join the show together, so I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Why don't you both tell us a little bit about yourselves and your family and your daughter, Natalie? Yeah, so we are a family of four, almost five. I've got one on the way. Um, we have Natalie. She's our oldest daughter. She is in kindergarten. She's going to be six in April. She is a funny little bright light of joy, but she also has a very rare form of muscular dystrophy that is labeled by the gene called Pyrox D1. The gene, which they know nothing about in you and I, but we all have it. And if you don't have it, you don't survive. So we know very little about her gene. She has a little brother named Ziggy. Ziggy just turned four. And then I am about 28 weeks pregnant with the next little brother. Matt and I have been married for almost eight years. We've been together for almost 10. And it's been a wild ride. We both come from very energetic, large families. So we um, are entrepreneurs at heart. So we have both owned our own businesses for quite some time. Matt, since the beginning of time, really, since he was 15, never really worked for anybody else. So, you know, we started a foundation for our daughter when we found, we'll tell you more about that later, but when we found that there really wasn't much known, we wanted to know more and we wanted to do all we could. And that's part of our natural instinct as entrepreneurs to dig in and start something where there's nothing that exists already. So that's kind of us in a nutshell. Don't you think? Anything you want to add? Oh, I, I can always add more. <laughs> but I think the biggest thing is as a parent of a, a special needs kid or kid with a rare condition like Nat, it's just 
there's no rules. There's no playbook. There's no way. There's no marching orders. And, and that's somehow where we tend to be most comfortable. And this has really put us to a test. So we're excited to share some of the stuff that we've experienced that has helped us along the journey uh, in this world that we felt wildly unqualified to be a part of, but put into it without choice uh, yeah. and, and in, a, in a crazy way, kind of great. I always tease. I taught elementary science lab for one year and in, by, in no way prepared me for the world of genetics. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, mm, science, mitochondria, right? That's where we learned <laughs> yeah, that. I got yeah. it. Yes, wildly unqualified, I would say, is definitely the norm. Every time I meet a new family who like went to med school or whatever, I'm like, come, come here, come closer. Welcome. I'm sorry you're here, but really welcome. Exactly. That's it. It's like, you're one of us. And we all don't know what we're doing at one point. So come on in. <laughs> yeah. Well, Natalie and Ziggy sound so cute. Congratulations on your new little one coming. I'm sure everyone is telling you, just like they have since she was born, that you're going to have your hands full. But we're excited to see that journey. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so Natalie has, you call her Nat, I'll call her Nat. She has a rare form of muscular dystrophy called PYROXD1, which is one of the muscular dystrophies I actually haven't ran into yet. So I know there's a bunch of different variants of it. Can you tell us a little bit about this one specifically? Uh, I'd love to be able to tell you more, but that's the thing about it is is they don't really understand why it happens. They only know what it does based on the you know seventeen to twenty people like Natalie. So uh, the best way I describe it to people, and, and this is where Maria and I kind of work well together. Maria is very smart. I I am not so. So I have to simplify everything. But that's what's made this uh, actually work out. I think fairly well. So. To describe Natalie's condition is gravity's her worst enemy. So in all things considered. So she has complete movement, but she can't stand, can't sit herself up, can't roll herself over the way she would like. So anything you do that goes against gravity, Natalie has trouble doing. So that tends to cause for many issues, not just from a, a day-to-day perspective of her walking and being mobile. And, and you know, thankfully we have technology that helps her with that with her wheelchairs and her feeding tubes, but also things like when she has the common cold, right? And that's what puts us on a regular basis in sick mode or what we call maintenance mode. It's a mode that we get into when Nat gets sick on how we continue to manage all the chaos that is our life while Nat's still going on. So Nat's condition as a whole is just, it's that genetic mutation that's causing her muscles not to act the way they should. As far as what Pyrox D1, the gene itself does, the doctors don't know. That's part of what the research our foundation funds for Nat's project. And then as far as how to correct it, that's phase two. So that's the best way to describe the unknown of a known gene. Yeah. I always like to tell people too, it's like, you know how you put tension in your muscles in order to stand, in order to kneel, in order to operate? That's what she can't do. She can't really maintain tension in her muscles. And so she can put her foot straight, put her foot flat on the ground, but she can't hold anything up. She can't maintain that tension for whatever reason. And it they believe it has to do with her pyroxy one gene. You know, Matt has a misspelling. I have a deletion and we were lucky enough to discover that. We know many parents struggle to even figure out genetically what is going on. And we were able at two years old to find that out. I think at the time we were the youngest case to ever have figured that out. The youngest onset as we're all on the most, I think she's considered the most severe onset of pyroxy one at this stage. A lot of people who have it are coming from the Middle East, I think is what we found they, they don't really know yet. I think now that we've uncovered some things genetically, they'll be able to test more people. That's another thing our foundation is looking to do is help provide more genetic testing um, to people who can't afford it in order to get answers to. I know you, you probably run into that a lot. 
with guests and and people are just like how expensive that can be and if insurance does or doesn't cover it. So yeah, Pyrox D1 is her condition. We don't know what it does, but we know without it, you don't live. So we're exploring that with our great team of researchers. Amazing. So there's 17 to 20 patients now. Was there no like patient advocacy group proper that was dedicated to this gene when when she was diagnosed? Yeah, yeah. There's really still not. So I'm going to tell you a story. So I did a mom thing. And when we found out the results, I went on Facebook and I was like, there's got to be a group, right? Like everybody has a group. I'm researching Facebook. We're in the rare, you know, we of course we've done like the rare disease network, all that kind of stuff. And our doctors, we have a smart team of doctors. We're over in St. Louis. So we're at St. Louis Children's Barnes. They're amazing. And there is no advocacy group as far as they know. And we've asked a lot of questions. So I'm on Facebook and I find this really tiny group. It's got like 12 people in it and it has like no activity for two years or something, you know. And I get in there and I realize maybe I'm the only person from the United States in there as well. And so I'm, I'm asking questions, trying to stir up conversation. And there's not a lot of people talking, willing to share. And that's the biggest advocacy group that existed and currently exists. We're trying to expand that right now and figure out more about that. But Matt's going to touch on that a little more. Maria did kind of what the mom thing she said. She found the group on social media. Then I did kind of the dad thing, which was try to figure out how do we get a hold of anybody who's going to talk with us. And uh, somebody connected us with a doctor over in Australia. And I reached out and got a hold of that doctor. And that's really what sparked the foundation. Because as we were asking them questions, we asked them, hey, what's the situation? What is stopping us from doing this research? And they told us a dollar amount that I actually thought they were talking in terms of millions and they were really talking in terms of thousands. And I asked, I said, how often does this go like this where this research that is going to go out for you know what would be kind of a a monthly you know rent payment or mortgage payment now all of a sudden they can't continue this research and they said oh it happens quite often they call it death valley and i asked them i said if i could raise the money could you keep going and they said yeah and i said how often could we do this i said we have tons of projects we we would benefit from someone doing what you're doing and that's literally what started the take part foundation was we wanted to fund Natalie's project, which was not a ton of money because these doctors are working usually kind of in the basements of universities all over the world, and they don't have the funding to get the validation needed in order to go to the big medical journals and get those big grants. So that's who we've become. We kind of look at it like angel investing for research on rare pediatric diseases. And Natalie's project is Project 001. We're working on Project 002, which will be an entirely different rare disease that already has research going on that's just in the early stages and they just need help proving the thing that they're trying to prove so that they can apply for the big money that's out there. And that's kind of what we've found. And we took the Sydney team and we said, okay, we took it to our doctors over here that we know. And we said, is this legit? Tell us before we give any money anywhere, we want to know. And they're like, actually, we know that. We know some of those doctors. We approve of this research. This is really good stuff. You should definitely do that. And so I do think it's important when we find these research as parents, especially in the rare community, that we do go to people that we trust and know and, and kind of validate that from an ethical perspective, from a medical perspective, just to make sure what we're doing is um, what we're giving money to is valid so you don't get scammed as well. Yeah. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that initial Facebook group moment, right? Where you dig and you dig and you find it and it's like crickets. Some of it's language barrier, some of it's parents just in the trenches, some of it's just not having enough patience, period. And so like, what what really can you do but just be a lighthouse for people to find you when they're diagnosed? So I can definitely understand that that moment where you feel like you found something and you almost really didn't. 
but at least there was no, it was nothing like, you know, you didn't find nothing. I'm curious about, so you found maybe a paper, you found a paper with a doctor's name on it who was in Australia. Is that how you reached out to them? When Maria connected us with the Facebook group, one of the people said, hey, here's a doctor we heard was doing something. So due to the amazing uh, gift of the internet, I was able to find who that doctor was and tried to connect with that doctor and that doctor wasn't responding back. So we talked with our neurologist, see if our neurologist could connect with that doctor. And once he explained to her what we were trying to do, she then was willing to talk back. And I was kind of put off by it a little bit that she wouldn't respond to me. And once I got to know her, and this is just for parents to understand in general, is there's researchers and then there's clinicians. And she is not a clinician. And it would be, and she explains to me, and I agree with her, it would have been improper for her to start explaining to me what's going on with my daughter because she's not clinically seeing her. So once I recognize that, so if you are a parent, and you're listening to this, you're like, I'm trying to reach out to these doctors and I'm not getting a hold of them. It's probably because they're researchers, not clinicians. And they're, they're not ignoring you. They're just, it, it would not be beneficial or ethical for them to be able to give you information, which is why when we create a take part is we said, hey, we can be those middle people. Let us help families who are trying to do what we tried to do have the resources. We were lucky enough to have the resources and, and and the ability to create this thing for ourselves, but we wanted to also offer it to other parents also. Mm -hmm. So if another parent has doctors that they're, hey, I think these doctors could do stuff, but they need funding, that's what we do. Maria said, we have Project 001, we're working on Project 002, and we'd like to work with Project 003, 4, 5, 6. Like, we want to build this thing and help parents have a way to go after it. And when we started doing this with this doctor, so how we found her, like you said, was through the Facebook group. But the part that was interesting was the doctors don't want to burden the parents. And I said to them, I said, I'd rather try and fail than not try and fail. So it gives, like, let us parents be a part of it. And the one thing they've said over and over and over again is how how helpful it is to have a parent's perspective and how helpful it is to have a kid that they know. I mean, they have pictures of Natalie in their in their uh, laboratories as like their kind of mascot and their motivation of, hey, here's what we're doing this for. We're not just doing this to head up, to get a paper. There's a kid who could benefit dramatically from what we're doing. I think it's important too to remember that, like Matt said, I love the difference between the clinician and the doctor that you see in practice. It's just a little bit different because they are also human, but they have a different ethical responsibility to us to not tell us things, if that makes sense, because they don't see our kids. And it's so important to know that like once we were able to connect with them and really get to know who they are. And I think, like Matt said, if more than anything, we can encourage parents like researchers are, are a different breed. They do have heart and they are amazing, yet they have to speak to us a little bit differently. And sometimes it's hard for them because they feel like if they share information that they're they're essentially making some sort of promise to a parent who might hold them to something and that feels really dangerous to them and they don't want to let anyone down. And so we had to kind of build this relationship with them that was like, hey, while we're a parent, we're also doing this from a very risk-taking perspective. We understand that at the end of the day, you might find out that there's nothing you can do or there's nothing you know based on the research that you did. But we're entrepreneurs, we're risk takers, and that's why we created this this foundation specifically is because it is a risk-taking foundation at the end of the day. Like we are going to take the risks in order to do the research, in order to see, is there something we can do? How can we take part in helping at least explore one possible avenue? 
Yeah. And, you know, one thing I do appreciate about the researcher field at this point is how quickly it's shifting, right? It used to be like this locked away in a basement, like you mentioned. But now, especially with genetic testing and the prevalence of rare disorders, they're almost becoming a very close partner, right? Where it isn't like this person in the back behind a curtain anymore. They are, they are seeing our families and they are realizing what they're working for and how much it's impacting real people. And I think that's exciting for them to kind of even shift that culture, right? And not be so one like step removed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So before I ask exactly about what Take Part is and have you explain that to everyone listening, I'm curious as to you found this researcher, you found this clinician, you kind of built this team. What was the initial thing that you decided to start funding? And what was that like beginning step that you took that inspired you to start the foundation? Man, there, there's a lot of occurrences that kind of happened without our intentions of them happening to do that. So first thing was when they told us the dollar amount that they needed, that dollar amount was about a quarter of a million dollars. And I sat there and said, man, I said, that's something that we could raise. It's not easy. It's not something that I can strike a, you know, write a check for myself, but I do feel over time, we can raise that or at least help a little bit with it. So as we were doing that, I was reaching out to some of our connections and I was having one of those conversations with a, like a mentor of mine, a friend of ours, a family friend of ours. That's like the the conversation of like, hey, I'm telling you about what I'm doing, but I'd also love if you would like to donate, right? But without asking them to donate. And in that conversation, he said to me, he said, Matt, he said, how common is rare? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I'm not looking at, I'm looking at Natalie's condition. She won at that point, one of 17. And we Google it real quick, and all of a sudden, that number pops up of 30 million people in the United States affected with, by a rare disease. And I, I went, oh my goodness. I said, rare is way more common than we think. And that's where our tagline came in. So what happened was, when I saw that number, I started looking into more other, right? When, when, you're, when you're a parent of a kid with a rare condition, you're so hyper-focused on their condition. And that's all I was looking at. But I, I didn't even see the fact that there were so many other people affected by this. So once we realized that there was you know, the 30 million people in just the US alone, I started sitting there going, can we help more people? That's where the concept of the projects came in. Can we fund the project so that people can actually get it from point A to point B, get funded and move forward? So that was what started it from happening. And that's how the project started. The second part of it is how the actual warrior pages started. And that is how we help families tell their stories. And this story is a little bit more accidental, but like I said, I don't really believe in many coincidences. Thanksgiving 2019, and we were up in Philadelphia, where I'm from, for Thanksgiving, obviously. And a week before, I created this page because I, I was trying to, we didn't know what Matt's diagnosis was. So I was trying to get people to share with their aunt and uncle, doctor, yeah, whoever it was they were meeting with for Thanksgiving on, hey, here's what our daughter has going on. Here's some video. Here's all of her medical records. So I took all of her medical records. I put it on a page from birth to age two in chronological order and alphabetical order so they could easily look through it. And then what happened was I wasn't expecting. Uh, we were going to send it out to everybody on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving morning, Natalie gets put in a helicopter and medically evacuated from one part of the state of Pennsylvania to Philadelphia Children's Hospital and she was admitted there for four weeks. But what happened was right when I got there, I get off the helicopter. And if any of you rare condition parents have dealt with that, which unfortunately many of you have, um, you're so frazzled. You don't know what's going on. It happened to just be a very windy day as well, which if you don't know anything about helicopters, that makes the ride way uh, scarier. And we get off and the doctor says, hey, what's her condition? 
And I had no idea how to answer. So I said, I don't know, just go. And the website at the time, it's not that anymore, was helpnatg.com. I said, go to this website. It will tell you everything you need to know. And he kind of looked at me funny and walked away. I think he could tell that I was not mentally like able to have a true conversation with him at the time. And he came back very shortly after with almost tears in his eyes. At this time, Natalie's laying on, and I'll never forget it. She's laying in the hospital bed, breathing tube, and she looks lifeless, right? Because she's obviously she's not moving. She's completely out. And I'm sitting there going, this is what it will look like if she passes just without the tube. And it was such a pivotal moment. He comes walking in with tears in his eyes. And I'm assuming he's going to tell me that she's not going to make it because why else would he be crying? And he goes, where'd you get that website? I said, well, we made it. He said, I said, why? He said, because I almost gave your daughter a drug that could have either put her deeper, deep into a coma or potentially killed her. He said, but when I went to this website, I was able to look and see how she was born, the doctors you were working with, and realizing that she had some type of skeletal muscular issue that I could not give the drug I was going to give her, but you didn't tell me she had any of this. And all of a sudden, I, I looked at him and I said, well, thank God you have that site. He said, if we had this site, more kids would be alive. And from that day, we didn't have this foundation. It was too expensive to offer this service. And when we started Take Part, we had the projects taken together. And Maria said, hey, we should also help people tell their story. And that's how we tied in the Warrior page. So what the Warrior page does also is helps parents tell their stories, just like we said. And it's, it's actually a template we've created. So anyone, no matter your technical background, even if you, as long as you could turn on a computer or make a phone call on your phone, you can walk through and create the exact similar or a similar page to what I did for Natalie to help share your story. I have a like a physical reaction to that story. Thank you for telling it. I can only imagine and so many can and have lived it, like just seeing your child there and thinking, oh, this is what they're going to look like when they pass away. That is such a visual of rare disease truth, isn't it? But the fact that you put together uh, without an answer, without a genetic test yet, or whenever you got that, you just made this information page and created that resource to hand out is so important and obviously made all the difference in the care that she received. And thank goodness for that doctor, right, who actually took the time to look at it and to respect what you were handing them, because that doesn't always happen, especially in an emergency situation. So I just I really want to commend you for making that and being so organized. It's really, truly impressive. Well, and here's, here's what's happened since then, which is why it was so interesting. That doctor took that and shared it with every other doctor that came in. And what I realized was sometimes doctors are kind of off-putting to us parents, like, like as if we don't belong in the conversation. And the reason why is exactly like you just said is we're not providing good information. Like we're providing our thoughts, but at, at certain times they need medical information. So I didn't realize the fact that it's hard to get medical information. Like that was the hardest part of that whole page was just getting it from the different doctors we go to. And then it was the concept of HIPAA policies overriding so they couldn't share it with each other. I was just so fed up with the fact that, yeah, I can't share that unless you sign these 15 pages so you can share this one thing with this other doctor in another state that can help your daughter. We were too rare to deal with just one city. And because of that, that page has been used to save Natalie's life multiple, I'd multiple times. i four times now. Yeah. In different cities. We've found ourselves in different cities. It happened again at Chicago Children's, Michigan. A couple different times where we're just like, we can't even believe it, you know, to a certain degree. It's overwhelming to think that. I think as parents, it's important to know. Rare disease parents, it's important to know. Even undiagnosed parents, if they're listening to, because I think that that's where it really started for us, is that you own your kids' medical records and you have the right to ask for them. You have the right to put them 
into whatever you want, you have the right to do that. It's a matter of as you go to each doctor's appointment, collect those things. Because what Matt and I realize is sometimes the things that they would tell us, they would tell us in a way for us to understand, but the way they write in their notes is a way that the other doctors can understand. And having a copy of that is so critical if you're ever out of town or find yourself in an ER, or we've been on multiple helicopters now, unfortunately, but with other doctors who they speak each other's lingo and it can't get there fast enough. You know, and I think it's beautiful to to just remember that we can own that and we can tell our stories. And I've sat down with many ICU nurses who are just tearful because they fell in love with my daughter in an ICU trip, but they haven't seen her well yet. And she's still like, you know, still lifeless or she's still like not herself. And I show them her website or her warrior page and they're like watching videos of her um, with her pretend husband or in kindergarten with her friends at Girl Scouts. And they're like, it's like making them cry because they, they're they taking care of this little girl who they've fallen in love with while she's basically asleep. And they get a chance to see it helps them fight with you, helps them kind of take part in their fight as well. Because these nurses are humans and the doctors are humans and they they do, they care. Sometimes I feel like I've as, my, as a mom, who's a mama bear, I found out sometimes that I think they don't care. And we've had to have we've had to have some doctors removed from our ICU trips before or that have wanted us removed. I think a lot of parents can relate to that. But at the same time, on the whole, I think the majority of them want to help. And so having these pages that really brings your kid to life for them, both medically, like subjectively and objectively, is so critical. I don't want to keep going. I want you to ask more questions. But just when we talk about these warrior pages, I'm just so grateful that this is part of what we do because this funding and stuff, that's fantastic. And that definitely will help. And that's definitely the the focus of what we do. But these warrior pages, that can help every single parent. We can't fund every single rare condition, but every single parent can make these. It's completely free on our website. And then the ability for us to have new babysitters and go to new schools and have a new therapist and all of a sudden someone leaves. The story Maria was talking about when Natalie actually had an incident where she passed away for about 20 minutes and was revived back to life by nothing less than a miracle. And when I was in the helicopter going from a yeah. Michigan to Chicago, by the time I got there, the the Michigan hospital sent Chicago her website. The doctors knew everything that was needed before I even got off that helicopter. I didn't have to answer a single question. It was just an amazing full circle. The first time I got off a helicopter and had to give it, and then the next time I got off a helicopter, they had it. It was really, really beautiful. And I think, too, just like with paras, like Natalie's in kindergarten at the public school near us. And so we send it to her para in the summer. Hey, you're going to have this great little kid. Like, you know, you hear you're getting a special needs kid and you might or rare disease kid. You might be scared as a para or a kindergarten teacher or school nurse. And like, let me just show you videos and pictures of who she is and some medical lingo about her condition. And it almost makes them like have a breath of fresh air. Like, oh, my gosh, we're so excited for this kid. I think sometimes we forget that those people, too, might be a little fearful. And as parents, we get a little nervous. Do they know enough? And so I think that, again, I know for us, our our website that's now turned into her warrior page has really helped the schools, too. Yeah, I love that. I lo- and I especially love that you had that medical professional, right, that was like your quarterback there who was helping to just make that whole circle of care happen while you were kind of in the throes of it and making everything get connected to be able to get to that facility. You know, I want to maybe talk about this offline, but I'll definitely include it in the notes. A lot of what you're doing reminds me of a lot of platforms currently, but I think especially you and my friend named Ryan, who who founded My Mijo, have a conversation that should be had. Happy to. 
yeah, I think it could be a really great partnership to talk about the ways to keep all that information together and make it accessible to everyone in our care team. Like you said, Paris, Maria, and like babysitters and OTPT speech, like all those people and how people can kind of get a little peek into how to care for your child, how to greet your child and all of those things. That's so important. Okay, so I know we've like talked on all kind of avenues about Take Part, but let's let's take it from the top to it. If someone was like, I want to be a part of Take Part or I want to be a sponsor of Take Part or I want to figure out how I can use it as a resource, like what do families do and what do they need to know about Take Part? Yeah, good question. So on the whole, our mission really is that we take existing medical research that's in its infant stages, that's aimed at rare pediatric diseases, and we help fund it until it gets to the point where other major funding organizations can can pop in. Like I know, for example, with Pyroxy one once Muscular Dystrophy Association gets their hands on it, once they can apply for that grant, like that's when we can back off. And so that's what we do with rare disease at all different conditions. But a huge part of what we do is to provide resources for families and parents to really tell their story. And I think that it started off as a secondary, like Matt said, a secondary thing, but it's become such a critical half of what we do. And so we believe that in telling our story and helping people tell their stories and in telling our stories, there will be more visibility. And from that, more opportunity might emerge for them to know more about their child's condition or connect with somebody who does. And so I think it's just really important for that. Um, we have a website, take-part.org. We have a button on there if you want to, hey, you know what? I found a doctor over in the Netherlands who's studying my kid's rare pediatric disease. I don't know what stage they're in. Send us an email. Let us know the condition. Let us know what team you found. And like, we will walk with you through that journey of connecting with them, connecting with your doctor, seeing if it's something that really makes sense. Like, we want to hold your hand through that process and help you. And if we are able to take it on as a project, we will. If not, we will help coach you on how to do that, I think. And like, that's a huge part of what we do. It's like, hey, you know what? This is how we did it. Right now, we have the opportunity to take on new projects. So we will. Maybe we will reach a point where we're like, hey, right now we can't take on a new one, but we don't want anyone to ever feel like they can't continue to fundraise for that themselves. And that's why the warrior pages are important. Like, hey, build your warrior page. Use that to fundraise. And so we really want people to feel like they're taking part in their child's research and that journey and leading them to a therapy or a cure, you know, if that's where it's going. So that's really what we would say to do. And more than anything is to hop on take-part.org. Like we said, apply for a project if you know of research for your kid's condition. If you don't, build a warrior page. They're completely free. Start telling your story. We'll see your story. And if we see research that lines up with that, we'll reach out to you. You know, like we are always on the lookouts for those things too. So, um, and people might be able to see each other on there with a similar condition. They can connect and they might find something together too. So I think that that's the two ways as parents you can participate is to do one of those two things. We have, obviously, we have a lot of fun stuff we do throughout the year for raising money. We partner with lots of different businesses. We have a fun donut run that's going to be nationwide this year, which is really fun in September. We'll have a little gala, all that kind of stuff. We do things like that, but we also have corporate giving. We have um, normal, everyday, reoccurring giving that people can do, individual giving, just like any nonprofit. We are 501c3. We can receive all that as well. And that's all on there too. Companies can get involved. We have a couple new initiatives I'm not going to talk about quite yet because they're not ready, but there'll be fun ways for people to get involved with children's hospitals all over the country shortly too. So just follow along with us and stay tuned for that. One of the things that Maria came up with is there's how do other people actually take part? And that's something we always got. And I think as other parents of kids that are fighting through rare conditions is people want to help, but they don't know how. 
because it's not like they can go do a big walk that's going on for your specific condition. So we came up with these three ways that other people can take part. Like Maria said, if you're listening to this and you have a kid with a rare condition, first thing to do is go on our website and create a Warriors page. Doesn't have to be every picture up there. And just so you all know, a Warrior page, when you get your medical records, you don't have to put them up if you don't want to. You can just do pictures and videos just to kind of give a baseline. But what we do suggest, grab your medical records and just scan them. Scan them, take a picture. Our system will show you how to upload them and it will put it in order for you. If you don't have a rare condition or you're, and I know you know you have a lot of guests on here and listeners who maybe their kids don't, but they work with kids, then share that resource with the families of people who have the rare condition. But if you just know someone, which the majority of us do based on just the raw numbers of 30 million you know, plus people with a rare condition, likely if you're a listener, even if you're not a listener, if you're in this country, the United States, you know someone with a rare condition is you can innovate, advocate, or donate, right? Maria talked about the donate. That's just throwing money at it. That's always helpful. But there's two other ways that actually I find are sometimes even more helpful. And that's number one is innovate. And we're gonna, we give some creative ways that people can help share what we're doing and grow what we're, the cause we're trying to figure out, whether it's for someone they know or for themselves. And then the other one is advocate. And that is share what's happening. Share what's happening with what we're doing. There's other resources out there that are doing similar things. And when it comes to how do you help something where you feel helpless, one of those three things tend to fall in line, donate, innovate, or advocate. And we love for people to do all three or just one. But again, if you have a kid with one of these little conditions, jump on, get that warrior page going, and then we can start the conversation moving forward on how we can help with funding or just more resources for you as a parent. Awesome. I really appreciate that you brought up the outer ring there, that it's not just about the parents and the medical team being a part of this to help move things forward, but it's about the people that love them also, right? Or anyone that's just looking to do good, perhaps in this area. So no one's left out for sure, especially when you need all the help you can get in rare disease. So that's a good point. And you know, I'm all about telling your story. I mean, this is once upon a gene around here. And I know that it's like a it's like a Ferris wheel that shoots out in every direction. Like telling your story can have so many different effects and and can impact the world in so many different ways, even if it's in the smallest way of in your own home. Telling your story and sharing your story and being available in some way to someone who needs that lifeline can change everything. So I appreciate that part of of your organization as well. Yeah, and we appreciate you continuing to tell stories. It is so important. Yeah. Okay, you two, as a couple, just I know this is a whole different podcast, but how do you make this work, living your lives, working your jobs, having, you know, you're both entrepreneurs, you said earlier, but then starting this 501c3 and having two and a half kids, like how do you make the dynamic and the stress levels of being a rare disease parent kind of exist? And like, how are you coping? And what's the magic sauce that's working right now for you? When you find it, tell us too. Um, <laughs> what's, what's today's sauce? Oh man, yeah, okay. It is, it is hard. One thing that, like I said, we've been blessed with is we have a we have a company that's a consultancy that that we do in the for profit world, and it kind of came from a similar question that you asked when Maria came to me and said, "Man, I knew Mary. This is before we had any kids. I knew Mary was going to be really hard. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be." Meaning. Matt, you're crazy, right? Your head's all over the place. You're a typical entrepreneur. And I said, well, there's these nine questions I asked myself. She saw the nine questions. We started answering them together. And what I realized was this system that we've been using has almost been like training for when we would really need it. Yeah. Meaning we've been doing this for years before we even had kids, let alone a kid with the current situation like we're talking about. So this system, we call it the LP, but the system that we we teach to companies all over the world, we literally use 
every day, week, month, quarter, and year, right? That's the structure of it. And what happens is when we're in these chaos modes that you're that we're kind of talking about right now, I need to talk about it because Maria came up with it. And at first I was like, come on, that's kind of weak. And it's called maintenance mode. And what happens is, is in this system that we use, it's just a planner. It's very simple uh, to fill out. We talk about first what we want, then what we need to do, and then we only do what is actually important. We call it reverse planning. And Maria's wants on a week where we were in the hospital were like super weak would be the word I want to use, but just there's no growth, right? I'm a growth guy. I'm a growth mindset. And I was like, that's all you're doing this week? And she said, yeah, I just, she said something that has changed my life from that conversation. She said, I just don't want anything to fall behind. And when you're in a position where your kid's laying in an ICU bed or your kid's in their bed upstairs and they are not coming off their breathing uh, equipment or they're just not feeling well, or your wife's not feeling well, your husband's not feeling well, there needs to be a mode that we can go in to make sure we don't drop any balls, but yet we don't just totally give up on the world. And that's what we found has been super helpful is we don't wait for chaos to have a system. We have a system we use every single week so that when chaos comes into our life, like it will anybody's life, whether you have a, a kid who is quote unquote normal or has a rare condition, you're going to get hit with chaos. And because of this system we have, we can fall back on it and thrive through some of the most challenging things that most people could see us go through. Yeah, I really, truly believe that it's really, I mean, and you can simplify it. Like nobody has to use our system. We we really like it. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like every Sunday, Matt and I sit down and we're like, all right, what do we got ahead of us this week? How are we equipped as a team to handle what we both need to accomplish in our businesses, what our family needs and what we need individually? Like, how can we do that this week? And so we really sit down and like make sure, because you know, like those days when I know a lot of friends of mine will be like, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so didn't tell me he was doing this until last night. And I'm like, that's why we do Sunday planning is because I don't want to know about this thing that you knew about on Thursday that I'm just not finding out about. So I ask questions. I think it's important to sit down before the week starts and just like, hey, what do you want to accomplish this week, Matt? Yeah. OK, cool. Here's what I want to accomplish. Here's how you can help me. Here's how I can help you. And just really being each other's teammate. And that sounds cheesy, I know. But like really, truly having those early conversations before it gets chaotic and doing that. And I'm going to be honest with you, we're not perfect at it. And we really have had seasons of therapy. We've had seasons of lots of like things that have been extremely helpful alongside these things. So we're not going to sit here and pretend like planning your week is going to save all your issues. We've gone through grief. We've gone through lots of stuff that we've had to work through. But having some sort of system where you are asking each other questions about what you want and need each week, I think will do you well in your relationship. And it's done us well. And here, here's a simple right? Because I want to give some applicable. This is what I like to do on a regular basis. But we break down the entire year, like I said, and we work on daily actions, weekly planning, right? Monthly uh, refine, quarterly reset, and annual retreat. And that's how we go through our year. So once a year, we'll actually go through what are we planning this year on a quarterly basis. We'll actually reset our goals for both personal and professional and then on a monthly basis, we'll touch base and kind of re review and refine what we need to do. Weekly, we're planning, we're communicating our plan. And then the most important thing is on a daily basis, we're taking action. And that's the key to all of this because there's times where we can't take all the actions we want because we're in a hospital room. Mm -hmm. And we need to know which actions can we take and which actions can't we take. And because we're preparing beforehand, I can go to Maria and say, hey, I know we're in the hospital, but I have this thing I need to do. And it's not seen as a selfish thing I'm doing. It's seen as a, hey, I'm doing this because our life needs to continue on. Now, for us, hospital visits are 
part of life. For some people, it's a one-time thing. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. But once you go, I think in, in 2000, I don't know which year it was, we were in the hospital nine times in the first eight months, right? Overnight, probably a week at a time in the ICU. So you can't stop life because of what's happening with your kids, but you also can't disregard what's happening with your kids. And that's exactly what this system has done for us. And we would, we'd love to share with any parent who's in this situation because it's just, my goodness, it's so tough to deal with, with a system. It has to be nearly, imp- I mean, look at the divorce rates of rare couples disease. with rare disease. I mean, all of that stuff. And it comes to the fact of, are you comfortable? Are you having the conversations you need to have? I mean, Marie and I have had to talk about conversations of, hey, if I'm out speaking at an event or I'm at a, I'm with a, a client and something crazy happens to Natalie, I can't blame Maria and I can't have Maria be concerned that I'm going to blame her because things have happened randomly. And that's just what we're dealing with. And can we stop our life to do anything about it? And the answer is no, for two reasons. Number one, that would discredit what Natalie is doing in our life as if Natalie's a burden and she's not. It's an absolute blessing. And number two is it would take away from the life that we are given here to live. And that's something that I think is so beautiful to see families and people who do stuff. So to answer, how do you, how do we cope with this? We do crazy things like start a foundation, right? Other people see that and they're like, wow, that's amazing what you all are doing. And I'm like, only if you knew it's because I don't want to sit back and do nothing. And Maria doesn't want to sit back and do nothing and just watch our kid live this life that is quote unquote hopeless when we know there is hope. And that's not for everybody. That's just how we, you know, that's our coping mechanism. Other parents have other ways of coping. That's our natural way to cope is to, is to like start something because that's who we are and that's our background. But I think a lot of times we cope in different ways, but it's just being completely open in conversation and always checking in is if at the base level, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think everyone can just rewind the last few minutes and maybe listen to all of that again especially with the new year upon us, right? Like maybe that's some motivation to think about opening the communication lines a little more between partners and to kind of focus on maybe the positivity and your family system processes that you can enact to, like you said, you can't stop living exactly when you're going in a crisis mode because you're always going to be in a crisis mode. So you have to figure out how to make how to make that sort of uh, live together right in the same room without anyone without anyone completely exploding and having kind of that base coat that you've that you've laid down to ensure that that doesn't happen. So what an amazing reminder and so many good tips there. I think I'll do more than just have a shared calendar. So thank you for giving me some ideas of how, <laughs> how maybe we could um, have a few things in place a little a little more s- strong for sure. Okay, Matt, Maria, is there anything that I should have asked you that I didn't today that you want to leave with our friends listening? Yeah, it's okay to be somewhat bothered when people say things that are out of ignorance, but I don't necessarily want to accept it to be okay to be offended by it. Meaning that people don't know what to say when they see a situation with Natalie, when they see you in the hospital, when they see, I've come to learn that and people don't know what to do. And what I tell people is like when someone asks, hey, can we get you guys food or can we get you money to go? And we used to always be like, no, we're good. Like we don't need Thankfully, we, we don't need money, right? That's not something we need. You know, what we need is someone to come give us some more time so we can get back to doing what we were doing. But when it comes to the money, we started accepting what people would offer because it's their way of coping with it as well. And sometimes when when we're in that moment and someone's like, oh, 
Like, let's just bring Natalie over here. Well, Natalie's got a 400-pound wheelchair. She can't go. There's a little stair right there that you don't see. She can't go there, or she can't even come to your house. And when she comes to your house, I have to pick her up every time she wants to move. So, like, that type of stuff, people don't get it. My mom said something that was interesting to me. She never realized why the handicapped spots in parking lots have that second part that has the blue lines going diagonal until she saw our car that had a ramp that came out the side. And neither did we. You have no idea how to deal with a situation like this. So give people grace in that and be okay. Look, you can be bothered. Don't get me wrong. Marie and I, we will get bothered and we look at each other and we know it, but give grace to those people who have never experienced it. So when they sit there and go to talk to Natalie, like she's mentally unable to hear what they're saying. And I'm sitting here going, this girl could run circles around you. She's smarter than I am. Right. But they just, people don't know how to act. So give that grace would be my biggest learning lesson. Not even my suggestion, what I've learned when dealing with people who don't have a kid like a nap. Yeah. Amen. And you definitely learn that, right? Because you, you can, you can get stuck. You can get stuck if you have that reaction or that response right away, which is totally normal for sure, especially in the beginning when you don't really have any sort of traction whatsoever. But to definitely strengthen that muscle on how you react and respond to those situations is going to help you mentally in so many ways. I think that's good. And I had one more that came to me pretty recently is if you have other kids and they're not affected by the rare condition. So that's just not their that's not their personal story. Keep in mind that their story is that they are a sibling of someone who does. And while they have their own unique story, you know, I really feel like we have in the recent year really accepted and really dug into Part of Ziggy's story is the struggle he will go through emotionally and mentally as he sees things in the world where people are unfair to her or where she has to struggle and not to completely try to shield him or protect him from seeing or experiencing those feelings and things, but to allow him to feel them and go through them and remind him who God made him to be or who he's just made to be, right? I don't know, whatever you believe, like he was made to be the sibling of her, and that's part of his story. And so not to protect him from the experience, but to guide him through the experience. And I think that that's true of all the siblings of these of these kids. I think so, uh, siblings of kids with rare conditions are going to be the most empathetic people in this world, right? They see so much and they know so much more than most people about how to care for others. And it's beautiful. And we shouldn't, we don't want to too much shield them from that because it's making them into who they were meant to be. And so I think for me, I've learned a lot about how to like guide Ziggy as opposed to protect him this year. I love that so much. Thank you both for sharing all of this. And congratulations on all of the success so far. And thanks for being a resource for families and empowering and building community. So I'm looking forward to sharing it. It's take-part.org. And I'll have their links to their socials all listed in the show notes. So you can make sure to follow them and contact them after you listen. Thank you so much, Matt and Maria. I'm looking forward to sharing our conversation and to getting to know Lil Nat better as you go along. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. We are just grateful for all that you do. So appreciate you so much. Thanks. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people and please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.